Support our programming at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. Become a patron, and your contributions can help unlock bonus shows from RFR, online hangouts with the Rebel Force Radio crew, and more. Say it loud and say it proud. Support Rebel Force Radio. Click on the Patreon banner at rebelforceradio.com or visit patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio and fans around the galaxy. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. Rebel Force Radio presents... This is Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. I regret to report that both our Jedi Order and the Republic have fallen. This is Star Wars Rebels Declassified. I like the sound of that. A roundtable discussion about Star Wars Rebels. Pretty gutsy move, kid. I am the Inquisitor. We're busted. Chopper, get us out of here. Now it's time for Star Wars Rebels Declassified. Well, I got to tell you, I'm happy to say that we were right. Our prediction on one of the last episodes of uh, Rebels Declassified was that there was going to be a post-Rogue One pivot. That's what we're calling it here. The post-Rogue One pivot where the uh, the dots are going to be connected between what we see on Rebels and what we saw in the theater for uh, the events of Rogue One. And that is um, certainly clear from the details of Saw Gerrera showing up and, of course, that uh, action-packed trailer that uh, landed on us today as we record this episode of, that's right, Rebel Force Radio, Rebels Declassified, looking at the uh, the 11th episode, or 9th, depending on how you count it, uh, of Season 3. This is considered the winter finale. And uh, you know what? It's, what's great about this is we kind of waited a little bit to do this episode uh, to kind of get through all of the uh, you know incredible excitement of, of, of Rogue One. But now we don't have that much to wait for. The, the, the return of uh, Star Wars Rebels. It's like it never even took a hiatus. But uh, we're going to break it all down for you. Uh, very interesting episode, and I think it might tie up some ends and uh, certainly um, asks a lot of questions as well. Uh, here to do that, of course, my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. The post-Rogue One pivot. Welcome mm-hmm. to it. That's what we're calling it, right, Jason? The mm-hmm. post-Rogue One pivot. That's what we call right. it. So it's uh, pretty cool to see the tie-ins. And you see a lot of them in the trailer, this mid-season trailer that just dropped this week. So we're going to break that all down uh, right quickly before we uh, get into our analysis of the uh, mid-season finale, which is called Voices and Visions. And uh, really looking forward to talking about both with you, Jason, and our panelist. Yes, our panelist. Uh, We got him. We haven't had him here for a while. We're so lucky to... uh uh, be joined by our good pal, longtime friend of, our, of ours here. Uh, he's a Star Wars artist, 
Um, he is the guy behind uh, the Norse Legion, which is a uh, Lucasfilm licensee and creates some really amazing uh, 3D jewelry. Uh, and I think he is uh, my tallest friend. You're not, you're not friends Next with Peter Chewbacca. Mayhew? Well, oh. I mean, I, boy, I, I wish I could say that. I mean, he's my friend. I don't know about me being his. But uh, anyway, Kevin Lyle is joining us. Kevin Lyle. Yes. And I should also say you're like the uh, trivia master. Uh, well. You two guys are pretty good yourselves. We, we've had this conversation before. I know. Yeah, no, no, no. But see, you know, see, really you tri- well. But here's the thing, though. You know, I, I appreciate that. That's very kind. But like, you trivia guys that really, really know, it's almost like learning your arithmetic facts. Like, you guys can just spout off that stuff. Like, you know, the the minutia, the little, you know, the little details. Uh, that's the stuff that. Uh, uh, always trips me up. Um, but anyway, uh, you, you host uh, many times at Star Wars events, uh, trivia contests. And I uh, mean- yeah, I, I do them a lot here in the Northeast, too. Right? Rhode Island Comic Con and uh, New York Comic Con and so forth. And then I've done it at Celebration as well. And- but uh, yeah, I, I've hosted. I, I, I'm pretty good. But I know I know either one of you guys are. And if I'm not mistaken, I remember the first time I was on uh, your other show, mm-hmm. I had said uh, Yarrell, Yarrell's uh, proof name wrong and you... Uh, and you corrected me. You jumped right on me, the Jedi Master. You were right on me. You were like, oh, Mr. Trivia Guy. And I just misspoke. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I remember that. Great. Well, I find so that- you, you, do know your, you do know your stuff, Jason. Well, I, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Um, I just know more. But <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no. All right. Let's talk about this, uh, this trailer that we, we, we mentioned. Uh, did you have a chance to see it, Kevin? Uh, I only saw it 19 times, so oh, I don't know how much information. Oh, okay. Well, I'm gonna uh, can, I'm gonna refer to uh, I'm gonna cheat a little bit and 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 I'm, we're gonna go through some of these things now. StarWars.com actually had a nice piece by uh, Michael Morecci uh, that oh. he picked out what he believed were the ten highlights of the of the trailer, and so this will kind of guide us through. And of course, you guys throw out things that Michael may have have either missed or didn't consider to be in the top ten, uh, but he kicks things off with. Uh, the, the return of Holocron Obi-Wan. Now, this is something we saw in, uh, I believe, the premiere episode of uh, that two-parter that kicked off the whole Rebels experience. That's which, right. Which was actually seeing, Jim, what we um, now know or what we saw it kind of around the other end of the camera of the, um, the transmission that Obi-Wan sent to all of the, the Jedi that might have survived Order 66. Right, and you're hearing his message with additional content. Right, you're hearing him say more than what we actually got the chance to hear him say in Revenge of the Sith. Right, and uh, so coming back to Star Wars Rebels is Obi Wan Kenobi, and it's the first time we're seeing him in any way uh, outside of mentions of him. There's been a couple of mentions of him, but we haven't seen him since he did appear as a hologram in Spark of Rebellion, mm-hmm. and. Um, Voiced by James Arnold Taylor. Yeah, this is very much, and this is important for those of you that haven't seen the trailer, though I can't imagine there's anybody listening here that hasn't seen the trailer. Yeah, that uh, would be silly. That would be, that would be wrong. So <laughs> stop listening, go see the trailer, then start this back up again. Um, but uh, to, to um, distinguish between prequel-era Obi-Wan and, uh, we'll say, episode four Obi-Wan, I like to consider, I think... Kevin, what do you, where do you fall with the Obi-Wan versus Ben? Do you still refer to him at all as Ben Kenobi? Uh, when I think of Ben, I think of only the, only the time that he spent on Tatooine. And I do, I will sometimes see a, a, a picture of Obi-Wan from, on, the, 
on the desert and I'll think Ben Kenobi, but, but mostly when I think of the character, I think of Obi-Wan, but I think Ben defines the fact that it's the guy on the desert. It's the guy on Tatooine. All right. So if we want to, if we want to draw a distinction between, uh, the guy on the desert on, on Tatooine living in the desert, uh, in hiding, that's Ben Kenobi. And, uh, Obi-Wan is the guy from the, from the prequel films and the clone wars and, and all of that. Right, cause, and I think this is going to be, a, you know, I don't know if they're going to do it, but if somebody calls him Obi-Wan in this time period, that's not going to sit well with some <laughs> fans because, you know, you want to you talk about the trivia, you know, break it down that, that you know, he said uh, he hasn't been called Obi-Wan in 19 uh, years. The funny, that's the name the funny, I haven't heard in six months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wizard's just a crazy old man. <laughs> yeah. Right, and he, you know everything's metaphor with him, and uh, from a certain point of view. But yeah, you're right; they really have to watch uh, that stuff. And Kevin, we'll have a chance um, to talk to you here before we get into the episode uh, about uh, Rogue One, because I'd like to see from your uh, trivia mind, sure. you know, maybe some yeah. things. I didn't say trivial mind; I said trivia mind. Uh, I got maybe you. some of the things there. Okay, so we, we see the holocron again. Uh, Saw Gerrera, now we knew about this within days of the release of Rogue One on the big screen, was that there was going to be, uh, I think it was a, a photo that was released, uh, an image of Saw Gerrera as he's looking in, uh, in Rogue One. And this is really a hybrid. This really is. This look um, definitely is that connective tissue between the Saw Gerrera that we meet in the Clone Wars as a, as a young kid and um, the Saw Gerrera, well, Jimmy Mack, that's Saw Gerrera. Lies! Deceptions! Hey, let me point out something about Saw, a little uh, detail here. Uh-huh. Uh, pay close attention. He does not have the breath mask mm-hmm. in, his, in his Rebels representation. So that leads that me what- to believe okay. that he is going to suffer whatever sort of pulmonary uh, uh, respiratory uh, condition he's we're going to see what puts him in that shape and i I think that whatever that is whatever that is is also going to change his eyes from blue to brown because that's what they are (laughs) they're blue in the cartoon and forrest whitaker has brown eyes that is That's true. all I'm going to say on that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry, I just wanted to, <laughs> I mean, I wanted to bring that up. That That's turned, an important that point. his blue eyes brown, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a I, – I was an EMT in high school. I'm not a medical expert, but I don't know of any medical condition that changes your eyes from blue to brown. But, hey, this is a galaxy far, far away. You I know there know. was a song about uh, don't turn your brown eyes blue, but nothing about your blue eyes brown. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> who, who was that go. song? Oh, God, uh, classic country. Yeah. Um, all right, but uh, uh, yeah. but Saw Gerrera, so that, that leads me to believe that we will see him, uh, uh, we, we find out why he needs it. Do you think so, Jim? Do you think it's that, that, it's that close to the event? What are we, we're two years out, right? Yeah. yeah. We're two years all out. Roads, okay. All roads point to geonosis. Mm. There, are, there are hints dropped in the ultimate visual guide for Rogue One that uh, point to geonosis. Well, the so, next episode is called Ghosts of Geonosis. There you have it. So there you have it, and you see, you see hints in the trailer hmm. that they go to Geonosis. Right, right. You see hints. Right. All right. So I Saw think it Gerrera. says it, it says it right in the description. I think I, heard, I saw in the description it said they're 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 going there looking for some hidden project of the Death Star of the uh, Empire, and we of course all know what it is. 
Mm-hmm. Right, right. So uh, that's no secret. That's no secret. Yeah, we do have a description about the crew returning to Geonosis in search of a missing rebel team sent to investigate suspicious activity there, and they're surprised by what they find. So there you go. All right, number three, uh, Thrawn in action. Now, what I like about this is they do kind of point out that we've seen a very passive Thrawn so far. He studied, he's prepared. And now, if his words are true, this is the time to strike. Uh, Jim, are you ready to see a throne of action? Well, I'd rather see him use a blaster than some weird lizard that sits on his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and that's you know, that's anyone who's read the uh, Thrawn trilogy knows what I'm talking about. But Thrawn sees, right? Wasn't that it? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Thrawn sees action, which is amazing. I like it. They show him using blasters. They show him involved in hand-to-hand combat. Oh, I like dude, that. I like the know? training thing that they got going on with him. That's that's yes. what I'm. Yeah, like he's he's you see doing his training. Workout. That's training. Oh, that's him working out. It's him working out. Yeah, he's yeah. got like a little tank top on or something. Yeah, yeah he's, he he's reminds doing me it. of uh, Captain Kirk. Remember when they would yeah. show Kirk in the workout room once in a while? Oh. In so it's it's thing. a little Thrawn Jazzer size maybe. <laughs> and he's fighting. He's fighting those Imperial black uh, droids that look kind of like stormtroopers. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, by the way, speaking of that, did you guys hear this uh, this crazy talk about? The Death Troopers from Rogue One being reanimated corpses? Yeah, Jimmy um, just said that today. That is brought up in the Ultimate Visual Guide. And um, it was just a concept that Gareth was toying with during the concept period. <laughs> you know, when, when everything was, they were just throwing ideas up against the wall to see what would stick. But there was talk that there was some sort of... Um, uh, Weird sort of uh, lobotomized troopers. Oh, they were lobot not not actually. Well, you know, it's Walking it's, it's, Dead it's, stuff. It could be Walking Dead. It could be, but the the odd detail about these troopers is that you would actually be able to see that they lacked brains somehow. You would see there's a, a segment uh, um, in the. Uh, ultimate visual guide about the decapitated and or the no wait what are the decraniated is what they're called oh. the decraniated and it's it's these these servants that have basically their brains cut out of their head and there's like a droid implant there and okay. uh, it's it's so we're wondering if maybe that idea for those those kind of zombie troopers, whatever you want to call them, if those sort of evolved into what we see as the decraniated in the visual guide, neither come into play in the film, so it doesn't really matter. But um, well, we had the they- Rodian character in Rebels that had sort of the Lobot style uh, brain implants. Good call. Good call. So, so who uh, knows? Maybe this is just uh, an extension of that kind of thing. But- oh, hey, Lyle! I just found myself doodling a picture of Lobot right now. So look for me on Artist Alley. I might be right across from you. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me, little radio boy. Are you making fun of sketch artists for tops? No. For tops? No. Definitely not for tops. That was my, my first my first ever Star Wars job was doing sketch cards for tops. That was your first gig? Yeah. You know who got it for me? It was Steve Sansweet. Oh. You know I what? He's going to gonna be on Rebel Force Radio this week. Oh, okay. Well, tell him I said thank you. And uh, well, he knows the story. I've told. Him. I, I went up to him at New York Comic Con like ten years ago and said I showed him some work that I did. And I said, uh, "How do I? How do I? You know, you know, do what what other people do? What can you give me some pointers?" And he says, uh, "Yeah, call up tops, talk to them." 
Talk and to then, them, and um, you did, and the rest is history. Um, yeah, the rest is it took about ten years. I left I left Celebration Four thinking like I've got I want to get into the Star Wars business, and he was the first person I saw at New York Comic Con a couple months later, and and then that was that. Anyway, I'm sorry. Continue. That's all right. Lobot. So, yeah, Lobot um, is a Nobot. All right, we got uh, number four, a new droid. I didn't catch this. The droids don't stick out at me sometimes. Did you guys catch this new droid? This uh, this uh, tall. Uh, yeah, it was tall. Kevin Lyle was, looking droid. It was kind of tall. <laughs> it, it sort of reminded me of a a blend of uh, a K two S O droid uh, uh-huh. mixed with one of those commando battle droids that we saw in uh-huh. the Clone Wars uh, era. Is um, this the black droid we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Because that's the same one that uh, that that Thrawn's fighting. He's fighting those, and those apparently are are firing at the rebels as well. Oh, and you see okay. one of them. All right, so they're a training droid. And- or at least that's what Thrawn's using them for. Well, maybe they are because no, you but they're training and they're also they're also attacking. The, I think they can be used for both. Oh, they're in combat too. Okay, and also be sure to mention that Thrawn was seen accompanied by Death Troopers. We also saw Dark Troopers in the um, in the trailer. Dark Troopers from the uh, '90s video game. Very interesting. Dark Forces. Yeah. From the video game Dark Forces. I've got the... Um, I, didn't, I didn't catch that. I, I remember the, when the action figure came out. That was great. I still have the action figure of the Dark Trooper. It looked like, um, looked like something that came out of like the, uh, the, the Kenner Superpowers line. It, it was a very, very odd, I thought, and still is kind of an odd design for Star Wars personally. But um, sort of reminds me of that Bounty Hunter that we see in that episode of Clone Wars. It was uh it was a Clone Wars take it was like bounty hunters formed to you know like a um seven samurai type uh, uh group to take on Hondo Onaka and they were on the planet Salukamai. And they were with those little tiny guys like Jason. Well there was a little guy inside <laughs> I deserve that. Oh, I deserve it. Height yeah. wars. Height yeah, so right. there's <laughs> But there was a little guy inside the droid that resembled the dark trooper, but uh, I can't re- I can't remember that particular bounty hunter's well, name. And this this one isn't so much a re- a revelation, but um, we do realize that you know time might be running out for Agent Callus uh, since he's been revealed as Fulcrum. And in the last yeah. episode, I think that was in uh, an Inside Man. We uh, it became very obvious that Thrawn is perhaps on the trail of the mole uh, mm-hmm. in Callus, so we'll see. You know, there's been so much Star Wars the past couple months, I'm, I'm a little... Look, did you say that Callus was revealed as the rebel? Callus Thrawn? is revealed as, as Fulcrum in the last episode. Oh, re- revealed, revealed to us. Revealed yes, to yes, us, yes, not yes. to the Empire. No, okay, not, no, yeah, no, I know, no. I know. But at the oh, end, right. you, had, you, had, you had Thrawn kind of, you know, laying some hints. Another hint that comes from the ultimate visual guide is the fact that Cassian, Cassian Andor, also was known as a fulcrum at some point in his spy uh, career, his rebel spy career. All so, right. All right, I see where this is going. Yes, removal of Callus, yep. it seems like his days are numbered, is only going to open the door then for Cassian. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, I, Rebels is doing this. Uh, I, I may have mentioned this on a previous show, but you know, had the Inquisitors, which was kind of a, a rotating cast of of people filling that role, and you also have this Fulcrum, which is sort of a rotating cast of people filling that role. It's just interesting, interesting. 
Um, uh, oh, yeah, well, we're going to get lots of, uh, as they call it here, family drama on Mandalore. And uh, what we know is, from this episode, that uh, Sabine, I almost called her Satine, because there's, mm-hmm. there's, you, you finally see Satine and Sabine in the same episode, kind of, from a certain point of view. And so yeah. she picks up the dark saber at the end. So she's got this thing. This is obviously a symbol of of uh, of power and uh, sort of the, the the ruler of the the clans. And she's got it. And now, isn't her mother? Her mother has been revealed to be uh, Katie Sackoff's character from uh, Clone Wars. I believe is she Bogotan. Is, yes. Did we hear? You know, I think or was that a rumor? That, I think the rumor was that Katie had recorded. She was involved in a recording session for Star Wars Rebels, and that's strictly a rumor. Okay. That may have been started by Katie herself. Okay. So, right. um, <laughs> so, so you know, if you can you can connect the dots right there. And uh, I, well, you I just, hear her speak. You hear her speak in the trailer. I, I, I couldn't really recognize it. If it neither could I. And it, it was such a quick sentence. Physically did not resemble the Bo-Katan character. Right. That we knew. But I mean, you know, time, time can be a bitch during the war. And, um, <laughs> time you know, she had to be spent any time on Tatooine. Oh, obviously. Yeah. We all know what, what happens to everyone. Doubles there. the aging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, two yeah, sons. Luke, no you women, don't know no. this. Luke's actually only ten years old. <laughs> no, I mean it happens really rapidly yeah. once you hit twenty. You do get some good years in there before it finally starts to take its toll. Probably around your mid twenties. Well, you stop and, using uh, the sunscreen for one. You know, you're too cool. You, you just it. get tired of it, and the whole you know it gets everywhere thing. You just <laughs> give up. You just give up. Boy, I, I don't want to be a spoil sport. I really don't, but. I'm so over the Mandalorians. In fact, I was never really under the Mandalorians, but I'm kind of over them, and I'm just looking at this, and I'm thinking, ah, they're probably going to milk this for like two or three episodes. Mm. Hmm. Well, it it looks like it's going to go into an interesting place, and it doesn't seem like Star Wars Rebels does that, where they just But isn't it odd, though? I mean, like the Mandalore um, fervor... It only exists like in the tie-in material. It doesn't exist in the film saga at all. Like, you, you, I mean, you would think that if if they were so important to the Star Wars universe, we would have seen something in the Force Awakens or Rogue One to remind us of the Mandalorians. There was there was really nothing. Hmm. Well, maybe we will in one of these yeah. upcoming films. I mean, oh, I'm sure. It's, I'm sure it's ripe. I mean, that is a ripe idea, and I think I predict. You it think? Will I feel like it's films. been used. I think not, they just beat the But not in feature films. Well, no, not becomes, in feature films. You're right. You're right. And it's become such such a part of the mythology outside of that realm. Mm-hmm. It just seems like it's ripe, ripe to be uh ripe to be harvested. So yeah, Sabine returns to Mandalore and, yep. and she's got the Darksaber and she wants to recruit her mother. That's that's what I'm getting here. She wants to bring her mom who appears to be in control of some of these Imperial super commandos, yeah. even though she's not dressed up as one herself. Again, the armor, very different from Bo Katan, as right. we saw her in Clone Wars. Bo had a gray and blue scheme, and, and this person, Sabine's mother, is dressed in a, a yellowish, gray sort of ensemble, which I recall seeing from an old Kenner action figure of a female Mandalorian warrior. 
that came out. It was part of a multi-pack that was an Entertainment Earth exclusive about oh 10 years gosh. ago, which wow. is not part of my collection, sadly. <laughs> Especially now. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, they, they, um, they don't get into any detail uh, anywhere so far on any of the official sources about Sabine's mother. They just refer to her as Sabine's mother. So that might, might be a reveal, and it might not have any significance at all. I was really jazzed about seeing Mon Mothma and some of the other uh, rebel leaders in this trailer. I love that, mm. um, that, that, that the seeds of that uh, are um, going to maybe take fruit. Yeah, you see episodes. Mon Mothma. And, and that sounded like Guinevere O'Reilly. It, it, it sounded did. like her. It, it did. did. It did. But it also sounded like Vanessa Marshall. So go figure. Um, well, and Vanessa me, Marshall reprised her role as one of the Night Sisters in uh, this episode in Voices and Visions. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I did not look at the credit list for this episode, oddly enough. But um, also, you see, with that, going back to Mon Mothma, when she's uh, communicating via that hollow transmission, she is talking to. Bail Organa, and you see General Dodana. Dodana. Hey, it's General Dodana. (laughs) General Dodana. Chicago was coming out there. (laughs) Hey, Hey, Dodana, go grab me an Italian beef, will you? And make it heavy on the peppers. (laughs) Dodana. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not Vanessa Martin. Excuse me. It was Anna Graves and Meredith Salinger came back for uh, the two Night Sisters. I would have sworn it was Nika Futterman, but it it certainly is not. No Nika, huh? No Nika. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really sure on that. She has a very distinct voice. Yeah. But uh, that's cool. Meredith is awesome. Yeah. So I I love her. And uh, great. It's great to know that they're back in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, uh, Well, let's see. Well, lots of uh, Star Destroyers. There they point out that the wrath of the Empire is going to come raining down. Uh, this is an interesting one. You know, it wasn't that long ago I was sort of uh, complaining about no more training of Ezra by Kane, and now he's training Sabine. Wow, so true. We do get uh, glimpses of her, and, and it looks really cool, too. The way he is uh, training her to use every tool at her disposal, he can be free of the... Uh, the Jedi training. This is more just strictly lightsaber training. Yeah. So he doesn't have to deal with all that Jedi dogma and all that stuff right. about, you know, no attachments, you know, use it only for defense. No, throw everything at him, including the kitchen sink. And this she is all has- sword play, right? Oh, that's a good point. Yes. She can't, she can't, she can't fall to the dark side. No, no. So he, he is teaching her to use mm. everything at her disposal. And that could probably include, some aggression and uh and sabina obviously she has that arsenal at her disposal she's she's hooked up with uh typical mandalorian devices for the most part is she not does mm-hmm. she not have uh you know just grappling like, hooks uh, and all that right? yeah yeah stuff like that mm-hmm. and uh, another really i think very compelling image shows sabine wielding a green lightsaber battling an imperial super commando on a frozen lake and that super commando is using the dark saber so uh, uh 
there, that's going to be, that was a really brief glimpse, but I thought, wow, that, that's going to be a striking duel. Uh, something else I caught in there. Um, I'm, I'm going off of the uh, starwars.com list. Um, I, you see a brief glimpse of troopers marching through a typical Imperial hallway through a cloud of smoke. And it looks like the guy who's tailing them is Yolaren. We could see a return of uh, is, he, is he wearing the full white uh, imperial guard? He's, yes. he's wearing white. He's wearing white with black trousers. Okay. Which is which is what would be uh, uh, indicative of that uniform. So it's not like it was just faded or something. Right. You could right. see the contrast between the top and the bottom. So yeah, I think I think it's Yularen. I um I at first I thought it was Tilion because of the Thrawn connection, but Ooh. then I realized he's not wearing the right uniform because they're both you know gray haired guy with a mustache. You know, right. it could be either one of them. But no, I, I think it's Yularen. Huh. Interesting. And then we get that brief glimpse of Tatooine, hmm. and then uh, we return to Tatooine and see Ben Kenobi sitting by the fire. Roasting as, marshmallows. Uh, Darth Maul approaches. He's got the marshmallows. He's, yeah. oh, hey, Maul, <laughs> would you like a small? Um, <laughs> he's, uh, made, he's making uh, s'mores. <laughs> yes. And Frankfurter's strong oh. with the force. So, um, what is, it, what, is it, what is what is the line that he gives? I love it. It, um, but it, it's escaping me. Something about oh shoot, I wish we had the clip. You shouldn't be here. You yeah, shouldn't you be shouldn't here. be here. That's right. That's right. And and that line is uh, uh, older Ben Ben Kenobi <sighs> yeah. is now being played by Stephen Stanton. You hear the voice of Stephen Stanton as and you're in the wrong place. Oh. You're in the wrong, wrong place. place. Yeah, oh, you're in the wrong place. But uh, so Stanton is now going to be Ben Kenobi uh, in, in Star Wars Rebels. And uh, I think that's really interesting. Uh, Stephen Stanton previously played old Ben in the uh, very popular fan film series called Pink Five. Do you guys remember that? I do. Pink Five. Yeah, I, I remember that, yeah. Where's little frog guy? Hmm? Oh, uh, he is going to meet Luke. We better tell him I need a ride. <laughs> Luke must not know that you're here. You would be a distraction. A big distraction. And uh, so you hear Stephen Stanton's voice there doing Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he sounds pretty good. So, I, didn't um, I, didn't, I didn't know that was Steve Stanton. Why is, uh, I mean, Steve Stanton's great. I, I love him. I think he's fantastic as Tarkin and everything he does. But the obvious question to me is, why isn't James Arnold Taylor doing it? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, um, Maybe that's a question that should be answered by uh, someone like Jet if he wants. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I can't. I wouldn't speak for him, other than the fact of of thinking. Well, you know, they. It seems like they have Stephen Stanton in house all the time. He's there voicing Tarkin, Ra Seven. Who else? Am he I does doing? a great Kenobi, though. He does, especially a great old Ben Kenobi. He does because he, he's so I don't on the program here every once in a while, just throwing in a line here or there. Yes, he has. When he calls us damn fools. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> who's the more foolish? The fool or the fool who sits down with me and enjoys a nice s'more? So, um, <laughs> Darth Maul and Darth, Ben Kenobi Darth having s'more. s'mores. Was there anything else that we didn't catch in that trailer? There's lots of stuff in that trailer. But that's all the good stuff. I uh, compiled a similar list. And uh, other than uh, the uh, additions that I brought up, that's uh, that covers the gamut right there. It really looks like it's going to be an awesome second half of the season for Rebels. It always and, is, uh, yeah. The second look, half is always always the best. Really looking forward to the Rogue One 
connections and all of that stuff so yeah let's get into visions and voices all right visions and voices as i said uh episode nine here of uh season three original air date just before the holiday break uh december 10th 2016 directed by bosco Ng, one of my favorite names to say and uh, written by brent friedman so uh all right so this is sort of a uh i don't know it's a, kind of a wrap-up episode of the whole mall versus uh ezra thing or Maul and Ezra in the nature of of their relationship. And um but but really is it? Is it? And I, b- before we get into that, I gotta ask you, Jim, to please describe to me what Bendu's role was in any of this. Why in the world did they go and they have to seek out Bendu in order for uh them to meet this resolution? I'm kind of at the point where I'm not really sure what Bendu's point is in this whole series, but you're absolutely right, Jason. What was the purpose of that? Um, he just reiterated the warning that he gave them before about combining the holocrons, uh, which I don't even recall him doing. He just said that he, he warned them before. Yeah. And, no, he uh, did. He did. He did. Yeah. Okay. Them. Yeah, all right. He told them not okay. to do that. That'd be a bad thing. And then Maul was there. So I was hoping for some sort of, Ben do on mall action, you know, but we didn't get any of that. <laughs> no, well, Ben do is he's, he's in the middle, right? He is the middle. So he's not going to take a side. Um, you know, there's the, the dark sider and you know, there's the, uh, you know, he, he's, he's sort of that balanced approach. He's, he's, he's Switzerland. He doesn't really pick a side. Um, but I just thought that it was a, a kind of a waste of his, of an appearance there. Um, and, and I know his purpose. His purpose was to provide you know something that uh, Kanan hasn't had uh, in the series up until meeting Bendu, and that is you know someone that he can learn from, someone to take him to that uh, that next level. Yeah. Yeah, of course, I, I get that. I, I didn't mean to be so dismissive of the big guy. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm with you on his appearance in this episode. Why? Uh, other than giving them a place to have a rendezvous with Darth Maul. It didn't apply anything to the actual presence of the character. He added nothing to the plot. Didn't provide any exposition. Right. Just like cranky old man. Yeah. But he looks really cool. He He does look cool, cool, and that voice uh, is fantastic. I love that voice. Uh, Tom uh, Baker, right? Yeah. Of Doctor Who fame. Yeah. Um. So we have. uh, I I did like in the on the official visual guide. They did mention that the. uh, one of the previous episode or one of the previous titles for this episode was the boy who cried mall, which uh, I thought was pretty clever. Uh, it's been a great title, but that's really what this, uh, what we see at the beginning of this thing is that Ezra is having these, uh, seeing these visions and he's hearing these voices. And Kevin, I was thinking back to myself, like, wait, have we seen this before in star Wars? And the closest connection that I could bring is what Anakin experiences in episode two. And episode three, first with his mother and then with with Padme. He is uh, maybe not seeing them literally, uh, you know, as as literally as what um, Ezra is seeing Maul, but certainly hearing the voices that he's being called to by Mm -hmm. both of them in this case. And something that's interesting, too, is that Henry Gilroy said on Rebels Recon that Maul is causing this. 
So I'm just wondering, does this bring, you know, perhaps give more credence to the fact that perhaps Palpatine is is causing the visions and the voices uh, for Anakin episode two? Is this some sort of Sith sorcery? Um, I think so. I, I, I totally thought in Revenge of the Sith that he was being a conduit for that. Um, Pal- uh, Palpatine was, was being a conduit for Anakin seeing those visions. And um, so I think it's, it's, it's very likely that could be a, a Sith thing. But, but no doubt about it, Darth Maul was certainly doing that. He was, he was pushing Ezra's buttons. What do you guys think about Maul actually having more power in this era than he did in the prequel era? Because, of course, the balance of the forces shifted so much to the dark side that the light has pretty much been Ooh. completely suffocated from the galaxy. So true, people like Vader and Emperor benefit from that, as we know. But shouldn't Maul also be, isn't he tapping into the dark side? Shouldn't he also be benefiting from the fact that the balance has shifted so much? That's a good point, Jim. It, it also kind of might speak to the whole nine lives thing that he's got going on, where they just can't put this guy down. Could it be, as you say, the fact that he is tapping into this, you know, uh, era of dark side dominance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the light. I never thought of that. That's a really good point. Yeah, that that might help him. The shifting of from the from the light side to the dark side that the force goes through in this time period. Guys, is any of this evidence of this sort of? Uh, darker instincts that they kind of hint that uh, Ezra has? Or is this all just mind games and tricks from Maul? Hmm, I think for Ezra to be able to supply Maul with what he needs, Ezra must be tapping into the dark side in some way. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So there's still and I like it. I like it. I'm happy. You think that Ezra is... That- he could he could switch. He yeah. can shift. He can cross the line. Yes, and that's what makes it so good is because the stakes are so high. And I was disappointed at the beginning of the season when it seemed like they had abandoned that that lure to the dark side that Ezra was feeling so much at the end of season two and at the beginning of season three. But now it's come back. And even Kanan, in the middle of the episode, he 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 expresses his fears about that as well. No, 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 we're not out of the woods yet with this kid, um, is essentially what he was telling Hera. And uh, because Hera, I think, had a false sense of security about the fact that they were able to save Ezra from the dark side. But apparently, Kanan realizes that there has been some sort of shadow hovering around Ezra, and he hasn't been completely liberated from that lure. Yet... Yet, you know, when we, you know, the holocron, the joining of the holocrons was to provide these two with the information, uh, the answer to the question that they sought most. And for Maul, it is all about revenge on Kenobi, which is, I think, kind of interesting and also somewhat less satisfying that if you're Darth Maul and you've been through everything you've been through, the one thing you want more than anything else after... You saw your brother killed after you saw, you know, the closest thing you had to a family killed uh, after you saw yourself being abandoned by your former master. You're still blaming Kenobi for all this. Well, in terms of being a Sith or someone who is uh, a devotee of the dark side, perhaps uh, execution of one of your rivals helps elevate you Mm. in the dark side of the force enough to where he can be propelled high enough to be able to confront the emperor and Vader. 
And that would probably... Do you think they're on his radar? Do you think Vader and the Emperor are on Maul's radar at all? They'd have to be. They would have to be. Yeah, you'd think. Yeah. But it's all about I mean, Kenobi. I, I think the thing is, is that he was in a pretty good spot in the Phantom Menace. You know, he had the number two spot to Sidious. They, they were already starting their plan to take over the galaxy, and he figured he was going to be the number two guy. And he ended up, you know, being a nobody, an outcast, because of Kenobi yeah. had diminished his powers by cutting him in half like that. And I think that that's where that's his seed of, of anger. He's really, really mad at that. And sometimes people get like that. They get they get angry at things that that uh, that are beyond their control. But he's not really a and, dark side uh, loyalist anymore at this point. I mean, we you know, in Clone Wars, when he you know uh, led the, well, I, Death I think he is. Watch. I think, think he's think a dark so? side. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think he's necessarily on board with the whole Sith thing anymore. I think he's working more as a free agent, but someone who works solely in the dark side. Yeah. I don't think he knows any other way to use the force. And he's clearly motivated by aggression, anger, power. He's, he's power hungry. He, even in this episode when he's showing off his trophies in the cave. Yeah, by the way. Right. By the way. <laughs> the, the bachelor who, pad. <laughs> who lights the candles for Maul when he's gone? <laughs> he was off planet and he gets back to the cave and all the candles are lit. Just ask. The part that I thought was weird was that he had here he hates Obi Wan Kenobi. And he's they're fake. They're battery candles, Jim. He's yeah, he does. <laughs> but that's one of his trophies, of course, because yeah. he had he had toppled that government and he had wiped her out. I yeah, mean, he killed her, stuffed he, he her. So her. I mean, yeah. that was that was his trophy. I mean, he's obviously fueled by taking away something that Kenobi loved. I mean, this so is, that was a great accomplishment for him. When I saw that, when I saw his, you know, his 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 bachelor pad there, I was thinking that this is like. You know, the, the, the scene that you find when you arrest like a, a presidential assassin, you know, it's just filled with, you know, <laughs> notebooks, you know, RFK must die. You know, uh, it was like it, it was almost like the perfect setup uh, for um, for uh, for Darth Maul. But, yeah, he's got um, according to the visual guide on uh, Star Wars dot com. He's got some Sith writing there. It looks like it might have been written in blood that says Kenobi. Uh, nice. In some sort of Sith script, and as you point out, the the painting, um, that cubist work of art, and uh, of course the dark saber that he he still has. Um, but um, he talks about it ending where it began on a desert planet with twin sons. And no, he's not talking about Jakku. Because, you know, you, you can mistake the two. Even Darth Maul might mistake the two. But it doesn't have twin sons. It's definitely Tatooine. And did that, is that really where it began for him? I, I was kind of questioning that. That was his first confrontation with a light side user. With that a was Jedi. his first confrontation right. with a Jedi. Yeah. So for him, that's where it all began. Right. I mean, obviously, he'd been working for Palpatine for, you know, a decade and a half before that. Right. But that's where it began, his confrontation with the light side. Yeah, and I think it was in the novelization of Episode One, where, um, or it may have been. No, excuse me. I think it was in um, Darth Plagueis. I think it was in Darth Plagueis, where you get inside Maul's head a little bit as to he's just waiting for that moment. He cannot wait to have that moment to prove himself. And um, you're right, Kevin. That's that is for him. I guess that is where it all began. Um, the the Night Sisters. We see them. They're, they're back in uh, in spirit form, at least. Um, and I thought one little detail was kind of interesting is that how the, the Night Sister, once she uh, possessed Kanan, she had to take the helmet off in order to see. 
She couldn't well, see she through that her, helmet. She you wanted know? to show her glowy green eyes. <laughs> That's right. Well, I thought maybe the, the you know the eyes painted on the helmet might glow, but that was kind of uh, that was kind of funny. W- one question I had um, was why did the spirit, when it left Canaan, not go directly into Ezra? Kind of floated around, gave him some time. I noticed that too. Yeah, that, and, that was. Uh, and when Ezra dragged Sabine out and uh, the spirit was exercised from her, it just zipped right past Ezra and went back into the cave. So maybe they have to go back to that altar to recharge. Right, right. It's like one of those, uh, yeah, one of those pads that you throw your phone on and it charges it automatically. You guys are all full of good little answers, man. I'm like, wow. Well, Sorry. I'm just, uh, uh, yeah, I, was, I, I appreciate it. That's what we do. That's what we do. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so there was kind of a, a missed opportunity. I, I kept waiting for uh, Ezra to get possessed. It, uh, it never happened. I guess it would have been, you know, from a storytelling point of view, kind of redundant if, if Ezra would have force pushed both of them out of the cave. What, what, what if they can't possess Ezra? What if there's something different about Ezra than there is between Sidney, uh, uh, Ren and, uh, and Kanan? No, I what like if that. different? I like, like that like idea. The fact that he's touched the dark side. Yeah, because they didn't well, possess Maul. Well, Maul got the hell out of there, so he <laughs> yeah. didn't have to ask him Maybe twice. Maybe that's it. But Maybe yeah, he did. They, they didn't possess Maul. They recognize uh, Ezra maybe more as an ally than as uh, something to be taken over. But they are demanding compensation. They want a sacrificial victim here, and Maul understands that. Yeah, Maul think, understands how it works with them. It, it's almost like jailhouse currency, you know? Yeah. Quick, give them a carton of smokes. But, uh, but I, I do have to say, my favorite image, and yeah. it's, it's haunting almost, was when Ezra returned to the cave after he had pulled Sabine out, and he sees Kanan just kneeling there on the oh, altar yeah. as all that green is around him. Yeah. I thought that was one of the coolest images I've ever seen in any Star Wars animation. Yeah. Kevin, the, the, the sort of the, the final blow to the Night Sisters is a lightsaber and a darksaber coming together to destroy the altar, their altar of power. Do you think there's any significance? I don't think we've actually seen, uh, even though we have seen the darksaber at work in Clone Wars, the two coming together. Do you think there's any significance there? Is the, you know the, it being called a dark saber and it being all, being called a lightsaber? Is there something about the combination I, I, of the two? Nothing you see indicates that, but I guess that is possible. But I think I think a lightsaber by itself probably could have done the trick. A lightsaber think? is the lightsaber can like attract the force lightning and stuff like that. Ah, you know, yes, that's and true. Uh, a force lightning can't go around a lightsaber. Lightsabers obviously have kyber crystals. And are not just you know your regular blaster or anything like that. That is a, that is a, a weapon that has to do with the force. So I I, th- I think the uh, I think the light I think the dark saber is just a cool piece of technology, and that's See, that's what it wondering. is. That you got me wondering. That's a good question. So if if anybody picked up a lightsaber, Joe Schmo with no force ability picks up a lightsaber. Let's say it's Finn. He's got the lightsaber, and a Sith is throwing the force lightning at him. Would that force lightning go directly to the saber, or do you have to be some sort of? Do you have to will it? Do you have to utilize so. it? You, you do. It's not just like a magnet. Be- be- because, like um, in in Attack of the Clones, when Dooku Dooku shoots the lightning at Obi Wan, Obi Wan goes, "I don't think so." 
you know. Oh, yeah. no, I and that surprise, so. that, that, that kind of surprised uh, Dooku, I think. Gotcha. So yeah. it was just, it, there was a little bit of it. It's not just forcibility, but it's significant forcibility. All right. So, um, but I definitely think that, um, that uh, 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 you couldn't do that with the dark saber. I don't think you could stop. You could stop Sith lightning with the dark saber. But you know, I've been wrong before, so we'll have to wait and see. Now, what do you guys think that uh, is going through Sabine's head when she picks up the dark saber there at the end? What, what, what do you think her uh, motivation Jackpot. there? At Jack- <laughs> yeah, she just won the lottery. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, you know, she's one of those characters. I don't really know. Uh, you know, despite there being, you know, there's there's been some sort of um, backstory episodes about her i don't really know what her end game is what what is what does she really want we know what's what ezra wants he wants to destroy the sith destroy the empire vengeance for his his parents uh we know that kanan's probably thinking about overturning the the empire and perhaps maybe being a, a conduit for the return of uh of the of the light side hera is all about the struggle but sabine I don't really know. Her destiny is, um, it's, it's like emerging and she's learning about it at the same time. We're learning about it. It almost seems like when she acquires the dark saber, there's something that comes very natural to her, you know, almost as if it was something that she would have the, have, have given the opportunity would have rightly inherited. So there's something going on with Sabine and her overall, you know, we know she's, she's part of the clan Vizsla and uh, all of that. So she definitely has a connection to the leadership and the history of the leadership among the Mandalorians. So um, there's something about her destiny that is, is propelling her into a certain direction that she doesn't even really understand at this point, but it's all becoming, it's starting to unfold. And as her character learns about who she really is, we as an audience also are learning with her. Hey, by the way, guys, I, maybe I'm just late to the party on this, but I didn't realize that Forrest Whitaker is providing the voice of uh, Saw Gerrera in, in uh, yes. Rebels. Oh, yeah, they announced that. Uh, that. Was that, that part that of the was... initial announcement, that it was going to be him? Yeah. That went over, yeah, it was like a couple days over ago. my head. Okay. All right. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. All right. Um, Kevin, before we wrap this up, I am curious because we haven't had a chance to talk to you since the release of Rogue One. And I, for one, am uh, really happy for you uh, because you and I, we both hit similar milestones. We were able to take our uh, young daughters to their very first Star Wars movie. That's, the that's, that's exactly right. Um, we went and saw. I, I've already seen it five times, but we saw it uh, on Sunday. Yeah, and uh, and she liked it. Her favorite part was when uh, um, they put the bag over Chirrut's head, and he goes, "Are you kidding me? I'm blind." Oh, and she, she got the joke. Laughed. She got the gag. She oh, thought that great. was, yeah. and I felt so happy that she picked up on that. <laughs> she thought that was. Uh, she thought that was really funny. And then uh, her other favorite part was Vader. Oh, really? Vader was great, which kind of surprised me because that was like the one part of the movie I was thinking about maybe holding her eye because, you know, Vader goes kind of crazy in that. Yeah, he does. And uh, but she loved it. You know, I've got a I got a big Vader in my office, so she knows that I'm a big Vader fan. And uh, and she's met she's met Darth Vader. uh, She's met David Prowse. And um, and so uh, she knows I like Darth Vader a lot. So maybe that's why she kind of. This film was full of trivia and minutia and, uh, you know, connections to. Episode four, which we know so well. What were some of the big things that jumped out at you? Um, well, I, I think the thing that surprised me the most because I wasn't expecting it. And I was I was sitting right next to Glenn Nelson from High Adventure. You guys know Glenn, of course. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, 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 when they showed Gold Leader, 
Mm. And then, and then seconds later, Red Leader, him and I just both screamed. We were just like little <laughs> kids, and that, that to me was, you know, because we knew Vader was going to be a bad, you know what? And then we knew Tarkin was going to be. I think my favorite part altogether was Tarkin. I thought Tarkin yeah. was just fantastic. Yeah. And then you know, you know, it's not real. But then again, I knew Borgullet wasn't real either, and I knew, and I knew the Death Star wasn't real. But that's the whole part. You go to the movie to have fun and pretend this is all real. So the, the Tarkin part was great. Um, his cadence, his his dialogue. I thought was fantastic. And then um, there was a, there was a lot of connections. I mean, they really went, you know, out of their way, you know, the blue milk, which they, you know, kind of focused on. And then the, uh, you know, obviously, um, Panda Baba uh, and yeah. so forth. There was uh, there was a lot of connections. But I, yeah, I think the one that, that, that surprised me the most was um, was Gold Leader and, and, and Red Leader. That was just uh, that was fantastic. Awesome. And so so your overall feeling of the movie. Good. Um, Oh, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I think it's. I think there's it was, a lot. Um, of, I got to tell you, there's a lot of gushing, and I'm not. And I, 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 think that some of it is a little bit. You know, the initial. I mean, I love the film. Don't get me wrong, but I, you know, automatically saying, "Oh, it's the best. It's it's better than Empire Strikes Back. It's the best Star Wars film ever." I, I, I you know, I tend to be okay. Let's give it some time to settle in, but you know, <laughs> easy, Skippy. Yeah, <laughs> I have to. I, I've heard. I've heard people say like their favorite Star Wars movies, Revenge of the Sith, and I'm like, well. No, well, no, it's not. Yeah, but, but at least um, they've, you know, they've had 10 years to think about that one. Right. So I, but I, I'm, I have heard people say Rogue One is their favorite Star Wars movie. And I'm really, I can't find anything to disagree with that on. Hmm. There's no, you know, I loved The Force Awakens. I thought it was a good movie, but there were a lot of things that took me that, that I just thought that were a little weird. Um, I'm not going to, well, anyway, it's just some things that I thought kind of took me out of the movie. Whereas Rogue One was just, it was, it was so brilliantly crafted. I think it was such a good movie. All right. And, um, and I made it sound like I didn't like The Force Awakens. I love The Force Awakens. It was a great no, I movie. I hear you. I hear I just, you. I mean, it, I'll, I'll tell you. I think that Rogue One, and this is you know huge credit to uh, the creative team behind that movie, I think Rogue One did expose some flaws in The Force Awakens. I, I'll say it. I, it doesn't mean that I didn't love it and don't continue to love it. Um, but I think uh, Jim very uh, profoundly said on a recent episode about the rewatchability factor that he, uh, Jim, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think it was you that said that you felt that Rogue One had a, had more of a rewatchability factor than, uh, than Force Awakens. You're not drawn, well, you're not drawn to rewatch Force Awakens over and over as much as you are some of the other films. Right. And that's no commentary on the plot, on the characters, on the actors, on anything with the Force Awakens outside of the fact that the screen is constantly packed with more detail in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. I think what Rogue One finally showed us after a long time is that a film can be made that really fits into the flavor of the original trilogy. That film can still be made in yeah. the year 2016 Good and point. in the future. What I liked, it didn't have to have, you know, every five minutes we have to have a fight, an explosion, and people die. And every, there's got to be chaos and, and fear every five minutes. And I think that's a lot of movies like that, like nowadays, are made like that. A movie really can't start without ten minutes into it, a huge action scene. You really can't have that anymore. It has to happen. And, um, but, but Rogue One didn't do that. I liked, I liked Rogue One's pacing, and you got, like, really involved with the characters. And, I, you know... Um, you know, I think it's, you know, I'm an empire guy, so I think it's great that they all died, but, um, <laughs> but I think it's, uh, you know, you, you got to really like and know the characters, uh, before they were legally killed. And, um, 
So I, I just I, I think that was a good part of the movie because some people were telling me the pacing was you know it was going too slow and stuff like that. I was like, what are you talking about? It was just yeah, I, I, I thought it was a good movie. I like the build. And just 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 just, just so I yep oh, say that again. Uh, cut me off already. <laughs> no, just to clarify myself, I, mean, I liked the Force Awakens. It was just the it was the Star Killer weapon that just that was the only thing that took me out is how on Takadana they saw them fire it and hit another planet in another system. You know, I mean, that's just like if you know anything about space. I mean, that's just that's impossible because. You know, if, if if the next nearest star to our star blew up, we wouldn't see it for five years, and it's just uh, like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. And they were seeing well, it. Star you know, Wars physics, you know, Star Wars physics. But. Yeah, but that's a little bit. You know, Star Wars physics is sound in space. You know, that's that's okay. I get that. Right. Um, but that that was like I that that just kind of took me out of the movie. But other than that, I love the movie. I thought it was great. It was a little. It was a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I I'm with you. Hey, hey, did you ever think for a second? That those those death beams coming from Star Killer Base just happened to pass through the atmosphere of Takadona on its way to Hassian Prime. Yes, that's what happened. It just passed through, just skimmed the atmosphere a little bit. <laughs> I was always, thinking, just skim the atmosphere. That's all it did. If you want to retcon it, I was thinking maybe this weapon, because they call it a it's 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 a hyperspace weapon. It shoots through hyperspace. It goes into hyperspace like a like a ship does. I was thinking maybe because it's energy and it's not a ship, that it opens up hyperspace for people to see it. So, and what you're actually looking at on Takadana is you're actually not looking at the planet blowing up, you're looking at the the portal through hyperspace that leads to the planet. There you go. Look at that. It's almost like when the Blue Angels fly over the stadium before the Rose Bowl. It's it's just like that. What the hell? Are you? Okay. All That's wrapping up our look at the first, well, the first half of season three of uh, Star Wars Rebels. And this particular episode, Voices and Visions. Lots of fun digesting this one and that amazing trailer. So make sure you check that out if you haven't already. But we'll be back with our look at Ghosts of Geonosis. It's a two-parter. Which we haven't seen a two-parter in a while, but I do love this series when it builds on itself and it's done such a great job of doing that and uh, this episode no exception uh finally a little bit of payoff we'll see whether or not this is the end of the whole ezra mall relationship i suspect it's not they're in a race to see who can get to tatooine and get to obi-wan kenobi first Exciting times, exciting times. Kevin, man, thanks so much for uh, for being on. Really appreciate it. Seriously, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I had a yeah. great time, guys. Anytime, anytime. And what's the best place for folks to uh, track you down? Uh, you know, I'm on Facebook, Kevin Lyle on Facebook, or uh, Norse Legion. We're also on Facebook or NorseLegion.com. But uh, please stop by and uh, have a look at what we do. Awesome, dude. Thanks so much. And we'll be at cel- we'll be at celebration. Yes, yes. Uh, you said that you'll have a. A table there at Star Wars Celebration in the Exhibitor Hall. Uh, and sir, uh, sir, sir, I will have a booth. A booth. A booth. Did I say table? You did. Oh, that sounds so cheap. I'll have table. a bath mat. I'll have a bath mat <laughs> and a flashlight at Celebration <laughs> this year in Orlando. Awesome. Looking forward to seeing you. All right. Uh, Jimmy Mac, final thoughts, voices and visions 
Great episode. Really enjoyed it. So happy to see them picking up the story thread of the uh, mall Ezra connection that we saw starting at the end of season two. And I like that they're not just wrapping it all up in a little arc. They're spreading it out throughout the series. And so that's what you were talking about, Jason. I'd love to see the way that the stories just get threaded along throughout the uh, the entirety of the series itself, which is really cool. Just a few stupid questions I have, as usual. Who was flying Maul's ship when it picked up Maul and Ezra from the Bendu's site to fly off to Dathomir? Who, the ship just flew over. Who was flying? Well, I think that's that a, his like little to... wrist gauntlet, doesn't that? Is it like a remote control? Well, it worked on his speeder bike or on the uh, on the probe, those little probe things. But uh, he doesn't he doesn't have access to that kind of technology anymore. So uh, what what's that? Wow. Flying that ship is probably the same person who lights the candles in Maul's cave <laughs> when he's gone. You know, they keep the candles. In. But I do love um, you know episodes like this that bring in all of those great Clone Wars elements that essentially turn Star Wars Rebels into an extension of the Clone Wars, which is great because we all were so upset when that series ended. But here we see the return of the Darksaber, uh, Darth Maul himself, of course, you know, he had a very strong storyline throughout the Clone Wars, the Night Sisters, uh, Captain Rex made another appearance. So I love all the things that just keep the Clone Wars alive in this era of Star Wars. And with with Darth Maul's presence, it's another thing that brings the prequel era into uh, it's much more uh, uh, closer to the original OT point in the storyline. And uh, we know, we know by listening to the dis- discussions at the beginning of this episode, when Hera is giving her briefing, it's easy to be distracted by what's happening to Ezra. And you might find yourself not listening to Hera, but she reveals that they are going to attack that imperial refinery on Lothal, that weapons manufacturing plant that has been haunting the people of Lothal forever, they are going to drop the bomb on that sucker. And we're going to see that in an upcoming episode of Star Wars Rebels. So the Battle of Lothal. They believe Thrawn was there, possibly because some some, uh, big elements of the imperial fleet were present. And uh, so apparently Thrawn travels with a large entourage of Star Destroyers wherever he goes. So they're looking into, uh, you know, cutting him at his Achilles heel, essentially, and uh, giving the uh, Empire a tough time. Well, speaking of that weapons manufacturing plant on Lothal, someone mentioned to me that we uh, saw that they were manufacturing bad Imperial walkers you know, there was uh, saboteurs there working in the factory. We saw this in a previous episode of Rebels this season. Could those guys have also been working on the Stormtrooper blasters? And that's why they can never shoot anything? Maybe. Think about it. Puff a pig, not in this episode. All right. That's going to do it. We'll see you next time here on Rebel Force Radio, Rebels Declassified. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Always.